Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hi. Hello. And of course, Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hi, guys. Today on the show, we are talking all things family pet in honor of me getting a dog, <laughs> a puppy, and you guys already being cat-filled and Amy guinea pig-filled. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought this is a show we've never done before, but it is such a common question on how, when, if you add a pet to your family. Um, so we thought we'd have some experts on and really dive deep into what you need to know, what you need to consider before deciding to get a pet. Today on the show, we are gonna be joined by two different experts. The first is a vet. Her name is Dr. Katie Nelson. And then we will have Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady. And together they will address everything you need to know about adding a pet or if you should add a pet because I try to <laughs> wrangle my puppy right now who's trying to eat my headset while I talk. <laughs> um, and we'll be right back with Dr. Katie Nelson first to address the more serious questions of adding a pet to your family. We'll be right back. So we are so excited today to have Dr. Katie Nelson. She's an associate veterinarian at the Bellhaven Animal Center in Alexandria, Virginia, and the host and executive producer of The Pet Show with Dr. Katie on Washington, D.C.'s News Channel 8. And Dr. Katie, we are so excited to have you on the show because I recently added a puppy to my home, um, which everyone sort of was aghast because my daughters are 17. <laughs> they were like, what? now, now you're doing that. Um, but, um, you know, confession time, that's why we're doing it because my daughters are leaving for college. And we were like, we can't have an empty nest. Yeah, um, it would be far too quiet. <laughs> oh my God. I know my husband wanted two. I was like, no, no, no. I already did two babies at once. Like I'm not yeah. doing that again. No, twin um, puppies is not necessary. No, exactly. Um, and then you have to feel for the mom, right? Who had seven at once. I was like oh (laughs) that's a whole other thing um but we are so excited to have you because adding a pet to a family I think is is a big decision for a lot of families um whether it be a dog or cat or something else and so we'd love to just talk to you about you know how parents can make that decision when why what kind you know the important things to know before you do take that plunge to adding a pet to your family yeah. Well, first off, I mean, congratulations. That's awesome that you've got a new a new addition to the household. It's almost like having a baby. I mean, it's just a shorter <laughs> it's just a shorter time period where up where you're up half the night and taking them out to the bathroom every 30 minutes. Um, but you know, that's one thing that I always encourage people to think of is that this is a major time commitment, um, especially on the front end. Um, if you're gonna do a puppy or a kitten then be prepared that your sleep is going to be interrupted. It's just going to happen. And I'm a huge uh, proponent for rescue. I I really feel like, um, especially for families, rescuing is really a great way of going about it. And a lot of people think that that's counterintuitive. They think that, oh, we should get a puppy from a breeder because then we have a fresh start. But the great thing about going through a rescue, especially for an older pet, is that the adoption counselors through these rescues know the personalities of these animals very, very, very well. And their personalities are already fully developed. And so if you go in and you say, you know, hey, I am, we're a five-person family. We're very, very active. We love to be out and about on the weekends. We want a pet that's going to travel with us. We want, you know, one that's going to be able to be a part of everything or the opposite of that, you know, we're a very quiet family of four. We love to spend our evenings reading and, and, you know, having quiet time, whatever. They're going to be able to match you personality wise, lifestyle wise with the perfect pet for you. Um, and I really think that there's a huge advantage to going um, through rescue for situations like that. Um, and, you know, obviously if you want a, a puppy or a kitten, that can happen as well. So, um, but like I said, that's just, that's sort of like where I tell everybody to start. And then the other thing is you do have to realize the financial commitment that comes with adopting or with, um, with bringing a pet into the family, uh, not only for food and for the purchase price or adoption fee, but definitely for veterinary care in the future. Um, you know, there's some estimates that over the lifetime of a dog, it can be thirty to $40,000. 
And for cats, it can be up to $20,000 for the lifetime care of a pet. So it's a big financial commitment and you need to make sure that you're ready to make that commitment and to do things the right way. That's such an interesting thought, I think, because people, um, they know the food costs, like they'll start to think about that in their head. But those vet costs, you know, you hear those stories about people who all of a sudden had a $5,000 vet bill because their their dog either had a disease or ate, you know, a whole bottle. I mean, my cat swallowed a penny once. Right, exactly. Um, So is that... I know for us, when we were looking, pet insurance became a big thing. And I had people with different opinions. I had friends who never had pet insurance. and They just sort of have a little savings account in case something happens. Um, and then friends who said, oh, my God, you have to have pet insurance. It's just yeah. it, you just it's a no brainer. Well, I worked um, as an emergency veterinarian for almost 10 years. And I can tell you that ha- people who have pet insurance oftentimes are able to do more for their pets in those emergent situations. Um, So I'm a huge fan of pet insurance personally, because again, I've seen people come in and be able to make those on the spot decisions to do something life-saving for their pet. Whereas, you know, it it may, that they might have had a different outcome had they not had that cushion of pet insurance. Um, Pet insurance is super simple. You pay a premium every month, whatever you can, whatever you choose, whether you want full coverage for, um, you know, to cover costs of vaccines and spay neuters and and yearly visits, or if you just want to have the emergency fund type um, pet insurance, that's an option as well. Um, And what typically happens is, you know, you will submit the invoice to pet insurance and most of the time it's 80 to 90% covered as long as it's something that is covered under the insurance plan. So it's simple for us as veterinarians. It's simple for pet owners. And it's a, I think it's a wise financial decision. That's really interesting. I mean, years ago, obviously, there wasn't pet insurance. And I've had cats all my life. And now, you know, now that it's become uh, more prevalent, I mean, one of my cats has, you know, an autoimmune thing. And I never knew that there was a veterinary dermatological specialist, who, by the way, (laughs) is more expensive than a human dermatological specialist Uh, and takes longer to get an appointment. Yeah, I'm going to just disagree with you on the expense part, because it's just that you don't see the expense of the human dermatologist. You see up front the the expense of the veterinary dermatologist, because your insurance is going to cover a lot of the human stuff. Exactly. Exactly. But you just don't see it. Right. And because I just see what I pay. So it it certainly gives me pause, pardon the pun, and and Uh (laughs) tells me, you know, yeah, maybe this is something I should look into. God, I hope there's no pre-existing condition clause. (laughs) Uh, Well, there is on some of them. um, But, you know, again, it it might not be that this kitty at this point in her life, it makes sense for you to do pet insurance. But certainly for the new puppy in the household or for a young, healthy pet in the household, um, having, you know, full insurance is great for the older ones. It might make more sense just to look at one of the emergency type plans where, you know, if something does happen where, you know, God forbid chemotherapy or something like that is, is warranted, then you can have, um, some coverage in that situation. So, um, again, it's just best to kind of, um, do your research on the, the different types of, um, pet insurance out there. There's multiple companies out there. And, you know, I think the majority of them do a good job, but definitely better business bureau, do some, do some, uh, you know, research on them and figure out which plan might work best for you. Um, but there, it definitely does help, um, in the long run. And as far as the specialists go, I mean, we basically, um, we have almost all the same specialties as human medicine, um, just additional schooling, just like for for (laughs) human doctors. It's so it's yeah, it really is adding a family member, right? Like when you think about things all of a sudden, like insurance, I mean, I think people just think you're going to throw a pet into your family and the main concern is who's going to feed it. Right. No, um, no. There's a lot more know? to it than that. <laughs> um, so let's say your your children have been begging for a pet um, and usually that means a puppy or a kitten if they're begging, um, you know, once in a while you get the kid who really wants a a guinea pig or a hamster. But mm-hmm. in my experience, and Amy, I don't know if you can speak to this because you do have the guinea pigs, that tends to be the pet 
the starter pet. The, <laughs> the gateway pet. pet. Yeah. Um, or the consolation prize that you think is going to make your child happy and then you were wrong. Yeah. Well, um, in my case, I think she knew that there was no chance at a dog because I'm the only one in the family home all day. So that yeah, and so when the one person who's home all day doesn't want the dog, it's not going to happen. So yeah, she she pressed hard for guinea pigs, and it didn't work out well. <laughs> they're they're mine now. <laughs> they're not hers anymore. They oh. didn't die. No. They just aren't being cared for. <laughs> they're by fine. Your they're right behind me in my office, but but they're my <laughs> guinea pigs now. Yeah. Well, those, I mean, the, the small mammals are definitely um, often seen as the starter pets uh, and they, they can be good practice, but you do have to realize that a lot of them do live for, you know, guinea pigs can go, live six to eight years and rabbits can live 10 to 12 years, you know, depending on the breed of the rabbit, the larger breeds might be a little bit, a little bit less than that. So it's not like you're, you know, getting something for six months, <laughs> You know, it, it really is a, a commitment as well, to, even to the starter pets, because they require good, healthy food. Um, they require veterinary visits as well. They have issues. They have diseases. So, um, you know, while I, I understand that they're smaller and maybe they live in a cage, <laughs> it's not always the the easy thing that people think that they're going to be. I mean, you have to clean out the cages and you have to feed them fresh food and, and all of that, you know, so it is, um, it's a time commitment as well. It's just my, it's just a different type of time commitment as compared to a dog or a cat. So if you're thinking about getting a pet, you know, think about your lifestyle. That's the biggest thing that I always encourage people to think of is your lifestyle. Understand what you're going to be able to give to a pet and realize that, you know, there needs to be a reality check in there. If you do have someone that's home a lot of times and, or you've got, you know, the type of lifestyle that allows, then I, you know, obviously I'm a dog person. I, I am absolutely a dog person through and through and cannot imagine my life or my house without a dog in it. I just can't. Um, but I also have the time to put into training and walking and caring for. And I also understand that we travel a lot and we either make the decision to travel with our pets or we pay through the nose to have someone come stay at our house and take care of them while we're gone. Um, so, you know, we, we get that and our, and our lifestyle fits that if you are gone, you know, the majority of the day and no one's at home, then maybe a kitty might be better, uh, <laughs> you know, because they do have their independence and they don't need you to go in and out all the time. And the same thing for some of the small mammals. Um, they definitely can um, fit into that lifestyle as well. And just a big warning for people out there who are thinking, well, maybe we'll get a bird. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe that would be a, a good starter pet. Well, keep in mind that birds live a long time as well. And some of the larger birds, parrots, uh, cockatoos, macaws, birds like that, they can live 60 some odd years. So, wow. you know, yeah, you're, you're getting a lifetime of a pet if you look into getting a bird. Um, some of the smaller birds don't live that long, but it's, you know, you need to do your research and really make sure that you are prepared for that commitment. Turtles, um, you know, some people think, oh, well, we'll get a little, a little, you know, redier slider or whatever, you know, and well, those guys can live 20 something years as well. So you got to know these things before you add them into your home. And again, um, you can always, if you do make the decision that, Hey, a bird is right for us, or a turtle is right for us, or a small mammal is right for us. They are available at shelters around the country. You do not have to go and buy one from a pet store. You can go to a, a local shelter or a local rescue and find exactly what you're looking for. If you're going for um, a small mammal or a, a reptile or a bird or, or anything like that. They're, they're available for rescue all around the country. Wow. I never knew that. I never thought of those kinds of pets as rescue pets. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the unfortunate thing is that, that shelters are filled to the brim with those types of animals because a lot of people don't think of rescuing them. Um, so especially after Easter, um, the shelters will be filling with rabbits shortly. Aww. So, 
Um, this is why we always encourage people to buy a chocolate Easter bunny rather than a real Easter bunny because <laughs> they can live for eight to 10 years and you have to be able to make that commitment if you're going to have a bunny. Um, they're not just around for Easter Sunday. <laughs> right. I had a rabbit growing up actually that um, was like a literal rescue. I was with my friends in um, Prospect Park and a man came and dumped it out of a box. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Um, and it was a little white, I mean, it was like a fancy rabbit, a little white albino yeah. um, dwarf rabbit, but he did. He lived, um, I, I think 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do. It was very sweet. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're wonderful. And you know, rabbits are actually really great house pets. I mean, they, they can be trained to use a litter box. Mm -hmm. Um, they're very soft. They're very cuddly. You just have to be careful with um, households with small children because rabbits are fragile and you need to make sure that your children are, are old enough to be able to train how to, how to properly hold a rabbit and handle a rabbit. Um, little small children are definitely much more huggy and squeezy and pick them up and the rabbits can actually hurt themselves whenever um, they get fearful. So um, that might not be the, the perfect um, pet for a house with small children, but, you know, six, eight, 10 or above um, where you can at least have, you know, like a real rational conversation about this is how you hold them and this is how you pick them up and you should always have an adult present, blah, blah, blah. Then that's, rabbits are actually really great pets. And if you're like my mom and you're going to let them just have the run of the house, know that they <laughs> chew on everything. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's because their teeth continue to grow throughout their lives and they're always trying to wear those teeth down. So they will put anything and everything in their mouth. And so you definitely have to bunny proof your house if you're going to have one. Let's talk a little bit about that, about that idea of sort of pet proofing your house, because, um, you know, one of the things when we were getting ready to get a puppy that I started reading online that of course didn't occur to me because my children are now 17. I've like been there, done that with the baby proofing was puppy proofing where someone said, get on the floor and now look at your house again from a puppy point of view. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, really? <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Cause I think that's a preparation people really don't think about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you do need to get down and see it from their perspective because you're going to find all sorts of things that, oh, I could put that in my mouth and I could chew on this and that looks interesting. Um, and, you know, getting down and doing that, whether it's not necessarily the same things that you would do for baby proofing, but it's going to depend on the puppy themselves. We adopted a, a, a puppy about four months ago and um, thankfully he's been pretty easy, but I've had dogs before that literally would open every cabinet, right. turn over every trash can. Um, I had a Jack Russell that knew how to open doors. So that was a challenge. <laughs> my friend's um, cats can turn on the stove. So they had yes. to use oh the baby God. proofing stove cover things. Yes, absolutely. So it really is. I just is, had to actually change my laundry room door because my cat can open the door to the laundry room and then uh -huh. he gets into the garage. Uh -huh. And the two of them go out there like bandits, like, oh, I know we're not supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it really, it's so individual um, that, you know, there are some, some great articles and stuff out there about puppy proofing and kitten proofing and, you know, pet proofing your house. Um, and I would say that those are good starters. So, you know, just making sure you've got the small things that can be put into a mouth off the floor and, you know, trying to hide your wires as well as you can, things like that. But then just getting to know your pet after the first couple of weeks, you're going to be able to realize, you know, oh, I either do need this or I really need to go overboard and do everything that I didn't think I needed to do. So it's going to depend on the pet. And then I also think that, um, you know, for the majority of dogs, uh, starting out at least with crate training is great. Uh, mm -hmm. You may learn after a few months that, you know, hey, he's really not going to touch anything. He's going to be fine if I leave him out of the crate. But um at least starting with a crate and starting crate training when you initially get them is a great way to not only keep them safe when you're not there to um, watch them, but to keep your house safe as well. Yeah. I don't know how people do it without crate training. Um, I mean, we're crazy, but I don't know how you would leave a new puppy in a house, especially like in a, an apartment, um, because unless you had a gate set up where... Yeah you know, that's how you were penning them in. So they didn't get into all sorts of trouble, but yeah. they're mean, also not housebroken. <laughs> right. Like. A lot of people will do a bathroom or a laundry room or something like that, where they're able to, to close them into a, <clears throat> into a certain area. Um, but yeah, I, I've always found that 
crate training is just much easier. And especially if you treat it like, Hey, this is your bedroom, you know, and Mm -hmm. you make it a positive experience for them, um, make it comfy for them. Then it doesn't, they don't view it as a, as a punishment. They view it as, okay, well, I'm going to go into my room for a little while while my mom is gone and, and it works out best for everybody because it definitely decreases your stress level as well. How do you, let's say you have the pet first. So you're, you're single or you're a couple and, and, you know, there are a lot of couples who use a pet as a starter baby, yes. right? Um, which is ha ha on them because <laughs> not, not quite the same, but you know, so let's say you already have the pet and all of a sudden you're pregnant, you're introducing a child or you're adopting a child into your home. How do you prepare your pet for that? So if you've already got a pet that is well-behaved and well-trained, then there's, it's, it's a much easier transition to bring baby home because you don't have to worry about a big dog jumping on you as you walk in the door with a newborn in your hands or that your cat is going to shred everything in the baby's room with his claws marking his territory. So if you do have a pet that's already pretty well-behaved, the transition's a lot more simple. If you do have a pet that's got some behavioral issues and you've just always said, oh, he's a little neurotic or, you know, that's just his thing. <laughs> now, now's the time to address that and call a professional trainer to come in and try to help you get the situation under control before you add an entirely new level of, of stress and sleeplessness and anxiety to your life that you've never experienced before. Um, so doing that just a little step, you know, a little, little bit of preparation, um, before the baby comes home is really good. And even if you've got a good dog or a good cat, even having a, a, a trainer come in just to help you with any sort of little issues is a great idea. And it's a great investment of your time and of your money, um, before the baby comes. And then, if you've got one that's an anxious pet, then looking on Amazon, they've got some little CDs of there of like baby noises, babies crying, things like that. It might be a good idea to, you know, play a few of those and get them used to the no- new noises that'll be happening in the house. If you've got people who are willing to let you experiment on their children, <laughs> you know, have your friends with kids bring over their their kids and, you know, in a, in a calm, controlled situation and just let your animals get accustomed to having, you know, little people in the house. That's always a smart idea as well. Um, and uh, then while you're actually in the hospital, before you bring baby home, definitely have um, someone bring home a blanket or a hat or something that smells like the baby so that they start getting accustomed to that new scent um, being in their home. Oh, that's such a good idea. I know when I was born, my mom had a dog that she had rescued and he was just a terrible dog to be honest (laughs) with, because except to her, like he was so attached to her, but he had obviously been so traumatized. Um, so he, and he was very adorable. He looked like a sheepdog. So everyone would come up to him and be like, Oh, and he'd be like, um, so I, I think her thing back then, I don't think anyone ever hired a trainer for their dog. So their whole thing was just, they just never let me alone with him. Um, cause that, and I think that's probably good advice in general. Just, it is, you know, right. Dogs are dogs. Like, you know, things happen. Absolutely. And you really, a lot of times it's just, I always tell my kids, um, with our dogs, we've got two really easy, really mellow dogs. Um, and honestly, you could probably do anything to either one of them and they would never, you know, show any aggression. But I always tell my children, don't set them up for failure. You know, they're, they're great dogs, but don't do things that are going to, you know, maybe provoke them and, and set them up for failure because, you just need to be able to teach your kids that. And also, you know, when we're leaving the room to go out and answer the phone or to go do something, you think, oh, well, I'll leave the, the, the dog here with the baby or whatever. Well, what if the baby reaches over and pulls the hair on the tail or, mm-hmm. or scrapes the dog in the eye or something along those lines? And then the dog does what dogs do and he, he nips because, ouch, that hurt you're setting your dog up for failure and you're endangering your child. So it's always best to never leave them alone, never leave them in a situation where something could potentially happen um, that's out of your control. Um, Because then it's the dog in the end or the cat in the end that is the one that, you know, pays the consequences because obviously we're not going to kick the baby out of the house for the dog. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so what also is interesting when we start doing our research is I, I, I fell down two rabbit holes. One is I didn't realize there were like anti-vaxxers in the pet world also. Oh so I was like, whoa, this is a rabbit hole I didn't know existed and didn't want oh, to know existed. Yeah. 
Um, and then also I, the food rabbit hole of all of a sudden you start reading, just like with your kids, right? Like, this is terrible. That's terrible. Grain-free. And I know there were like dog food. I don't know if it was a recall, but I mean, I ended up getting so you know, spinning around like, oh my God, am I going to be horrible from the get-go? Am I supposed to be grain-free? Am I supposed to be, you know, homemade dog food? <laughs> like, what yeah. am I supposed to do? <laughs> so can you talk a little about that? Like, how do you choose food and what is what is going on in the pet world around all of these these things? Well, I can tell you that the pet food world is is a little bit in an upheaval at the moment. Um, there's, uh, if for your listeners out there, if you haven't heard about the FDA statement recently on grain-free foods, and I would encourage you to go to the FDA website and search for grain free um, because there has been a link between certain grain free diets um, and DCM, which is dilated cardiomyopathy, a heart disease. Um, and uh, there it's very much in the early stages of trying to figure out what foods, what's the link, what's the cause. Um, and so, and they're not releasing the names of the foods just yet that are that are linked to it all they really said is that some of the more boutique brands have been linked to this um, these dogs forming cardiac disease so uh, right now it's just sort of best unless your pet has a an allergy to greens um, a proven allergy to greens it's best to probably just stick with the foods that that do have some greens in them because we're not finding the, the cardiac disease unless it's a genetic component um, then, uh, you know, we're not seeing that in the, the regular foods. Uh, Grain-free was one of those buzzwords. There's always buzzwords that, you know, happen in all sorts of inter- industries. But uh, grain-free was a buzzword that was started up a few years ago. Um, a trainer at some point said that he thought that corn made dogs hyper and it just went all out of control from there. Um, and there's really not a whole lot of research to back any of that. Um, dogs are omnivores. They eat everything as we know i mean from socks to (laughs) i mean they they literally eat everything but but i mean really what we know is that dogs are best fed as i kind of say the whole 30 type diet right so they're best fed with good solid um healthy carbohydrates healthy fruits and vegetables and lean proteins those are that's how dogs are best fed and um feeding them uh you know, something without a whole bunch of preservatives, lower on the carb range, um, higher on the protein range. That's always the best way of going about it. And if you have any specific questions, talk with your veterinarian about it. I mean, talk with them about which are the foods that they see the best results with. And also they know your pet. They know the disease conditions or the challenges that your pets face, and they'll be able to address that better. Um, I'm a big fan of the fresh diets of the fresh foods. That's, that's typically what I go for, especially in situations where, you know, 60% of American dogs are overweight or obese. Mm -hmm. And, um, a lot of that has to do with, you know, high carb foods, the dry foods that we're feeding in my belief system. So I tend to go for the fresh foods, um, you know, with again, just no preservatives, low carb, high protein, um, fresh pet foods. And that's what I tend to use for most of my patients. And I also find that it just helps a lot with some of their allergies as well, because it just takes a whole bunch of the fillers and stuff off the table. Um, but again, that's not going to be perfect for every single pet, especially for pet owners, um, that, you know, it, it is a more expensive way of going about it. So talking with your veterinarian and being realistic about your budget, about what you're going to be able to do time-wise for your pets, and they should be able to lead you to the perfect food. No, that's really helpful. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's also just insane how many choices there are out there. Um, yes. You know, it wasn't right for like, right back in the day, it was like, there was Purina. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Like, no, I mean, back in the day, there was a pet food aisle. Now right. you walk in and there's 14 pet food aisles and you're like, holy cow, I don't even know where to start. So um, that's why I always tell people, start with your veterinarian, you know, start there, have the conversation and again, be realistic because as veterinarians, we're not there to, to judge you on how much you can spend on, a, on pet food a month. That's not my job. My job is to help you do the very best thing that you possibly can for your pet. And if it's a food that's just completely ridiculously expensive and out of your price range, then, then I have no business recommending that. We need to work together as a team um, to best choose what works for your pets. 
Great. Well, that's all super, super helpful. Thank you so much. This was great. Um, you know, I think this is really helpful for people who are trying to figure out this big question of whether or not to add a pet to their, their family. It's very, I think, think it's universal that children ask for usually a puppy. <laughs> but sometimes or a pony sometimes, or <laughs> yeah, yeah ponies a whole other conversation oh, right yeah <laughs> um but it is i it really does add to your family it is adding a new family member and it's such a big decision so i think this was really helpful and thank you so much for joining Absolutely. us today thank you guys for having me i appreciate it and we will be right back with dana humphrey also known as the pet lady we are really happy today to have on the show Dana Humphrey, who is also known as the Pet Lady. Hello. Hello. So I'd love to jump in. I'd love to first learn how you became the Pet Lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been uh, I've been I've been doing this for a long time, and one one time I was on a, a TV segment in Fresno, California, and uh, they introduced me to the show as the Pet Lady, and I thought, oh, that's good. I'm I'm keeping that. So. <laughs> Now I have the website, thepetlady.net, and some social media as well. But, you know, really the way our society is, is changing. It used to be that people would get married, have kids, and get the family pet. And really now, you know, as um, our society continues to shift, people are doing things differently. And a lot of millennials especially are you know, moving in together, getting a pet, then thinking about marriage and kids after later on. So, um, you know, it's kind of a switch in how we think about um, the family, family pet. And now a lot of singles have pets and there's all these different, you know, dating apps for people with pets. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think there's also some, some good ideas on how, you know, kids can be, choose to be more responsible, you know, as they beg for <laughs> their first dog or cat. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because my daughters who are now 17 have wanted a dog since they could talk. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like 18 months old, yep. like, dog, dog, dog. And one of them <laughs> said to me the other day, cause we just adopted her like two weeks ago. Um, they said, one of them said to me, I'm actually glad we waited this long, even though I'm sad because I'm going to go to college in a year. But she's like, I feel like I'm so much more capable mm. um, of caring for her. And it was so true because, I mean, on day two, I left them alone with the dog. I was like, I got to do things. You're home. Go at it, you know. <laughs> um, but it is really interesting to me what a responsibility a pet is um, and what a shock that is to a kid or I guess people who have never had children, too. Yeah. And especially a puppy, right? You know, they're just little babies and they need constant care and attention. And yeah, you don't really want to leave them home alone, right? You want to make sure someone's there with them and, um, and then all the training and, um, how did you decide what breed to get? Um, well, we have a lot of allergies in our family, not necessarily our, like our family in our house, but my sister, people who would be here a lot. Visitors. So, yeah. yeah, visitors. So hypoallergenic was pretty um, important, as hypoallergenic as they could be, obviously. And we live in a small New York City apartment. We live near two parks, but still we're in an apartment. So that was part of it um, in terms of energy level and size. Um, so we kind of whittled it down to knowing that we wanted a woodle, a Wheaton and Poodle <laughs> mix. I still um, laugh at that. Thing. I know. Cause there's, there was, um, a Wheaton Terrier in our building. Who's just the sweetest dog ever, like such a wonderful disposition. So we kind of loved him. And then we were like, Oh, there's a woodle. So it's super hypoallergenic. <laughs> it's um, and we found one of my friends actually works for the ASPCA, um, and helped me find a really reputable breeder and what to look for. And she had sort of sent me this checklist to make sure we weren't you know, looking at puppy mills and things like that. So it was, it was a long, it was a long bit of research. And then we found a breeder we loved and we just got lucky that the timing was right um, for when she, when her gotcha day was. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was, it was not easy because we had first choice female and it didn't occur to us that we'd get there and there'd be so many adorable puppies. Oh, <laughs> and you're like, right, you exactly, choose? exactly. Yeah. But, you know, those are all really good things to, to take into consideration. You know, your your apartment size, your the energy level, the the fur versus hair, you know. Um, and, yeah, now these, these designer mutts are mm -hmm. becoming really <laughs> popular. 
Um, there's a website that I love called Adopets. It's A-D-O-P-E-T-S.org. And, you know, you can really find, um, in addition to breeders, you can, you can really find um, whatever breed you're looking for, right? If you've decided your family wants a smush face dog or you want a, a running companion, you want a bigger dog like a Labrador that can run with you. Um, once you kind of hone in on the characteristics that you want, um, there's a really every type of uh, breed in um, in shelter. So that's always a great place to start. And um, of course, you know, working with a reputable breeder is also a good idea and kind of checking in on, you know, their references. And then once you once you you know, decide on that gotcha day, whether you're going down to the shelter, you're meeting with a foster family, or you're meeting with your, um, with your breeder, you definitely want to start slowly, right? Um, you don't want to have a big party, welcome the whole neighborhood over to meet the dog. They have a lot of new things happening in their world, right? They might've been living on a farm or out in the country where there's not a lot going on. And all of a sudden you're bringing them into, the logistics of, you know, Manhattan, where there's a lot more people and energy and other dogs and cars. And, you know, you want to try to um, start slow and quiet for them and just limit their experience as much as possible. I was just going to say, when we got our cat, I mean, we very much took the cat right in the box from the shelter and brought it right up to my son's room because that was going to be like the safe space. And we really left the cat in the room for a couple of days before we let him out to explore the whole house, because that can be really overwhelming too, coming from a shelter and then having all this space, just like a dog. We didn't let ours out of the bathroom until they had both learned how to use the litter box. Like they lived in the bathroom for the first two days with me in there with them a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, it, I think you guys are na- nailing it. With cats, it's even more important because they, um, you know, they notice everything and they're very, they can get very stimulated. And so, yeah, if you have a multi-bedroom home, you know, it usually is recommended to put the cat or the kitten just in one room to start with so they can kind of get the lay of the land. They want to explore everything, all the heights, all the different, you know, corners and get the lay of the land. And then you can introduce them to the rest of the house. Well, so I have a question for you because you did bring up in the beginning that a lot of people now have the pet first. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, just like bringing home a new baby to an older sibling, there is uh, there is definitely, right, an adjustment and probably even more so for a pet because they really, really don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, how do you kind of adjust your pet for a new a new little person coming into the home? Well, yeah, depending on um, how old your, your child is, um, if they're, you know, at an age where they can listen and pay attention, um, you know, teaching them to, you know, pet the dog nicely or the cat nicely is always a great first um, <laughs> first challenge. Um, because, you know, if they're, if, if they're animal lovers, they get excited, they, they want to see the dog, they want to see the cat, but they often have this kind of flat palm out, you know, smack reaction. Um, so if you can really teach your, your child to pet the dog nicely, to, um, you know, approach them nicely. Um, some kids kind of just get it a little bit better than others. Um, but, you know, also letting them be part of the process, you know, whether it's there's certain treats that they're allowed to give them, or, um, maybe there's some part of the getting ready to go outside process that they can help out with. Maybe it's putting on, you know, their jacket or putting their collar and leash on, um, even if maybe they're not the one walking the dog outside, um, letting them have some part of the process where they can feel, you know, that they, they get to connect with that, with that pet. But you do have to be careful with them being rough at first. And, you know, some cats just, you know, get kind of carefully get out of the way. Um, <laughs> but dogs don't have as much um, spatial luxury. Yeah, dogs are like want to jump right on you. And they can be nippy when they're puppies. So that can be hard with a kid because they don't really understand that it's not biting necessarily. Yeah, if you have a puppy and and a young a young child, that can be complicated um, because the puppy wants to play and the, the little kid wants to play, and um, they're not both not really sure of their boundaries yet. So I'm curious, Dana. Like, what are the kinds of questions that people ask you? What What are people interested in before they get a pet or once they get a pet? 
Well, yeah, I think that the, the, the main things to think about is, you know, if you're going down to the shelter, you're going to, um, you know, wherever you're going to be getting your, your pet from, to think about um, what are you going to need when you get home, right? You're going to need, especially if you're getting a dog, you know, you're going to need a place for the dog to sleep. These days, about 80% of people do allow their pets to sleep in their bed with them. But, um, you know, you want to have some kind of a bed for them. You want to have some kind of food for them. You want to know what they've been eating and what you can transition them into. Um, the food is really important because if you just change their food right away, there can be um, some problems, you, you know, some soft stools. And um, you want to switch slowly to a new food to help them adjust. Maybe you mix in whatever they've been eating with a little bit of the food you'd like them to eat. Something else is to, you know, work with a trainer get or, or go to a puppy class. Um, you know, sometimes people think that just because they have a small dog, you know, they're not going to need to get training. Um, no matter what type of pet you have, you want to invest in some training, um, whether it's a six-week puppy class or a private trainer to come by, just to learn some basic commands, you know, sit, stay, come, things like that, and get the whole family on board. Um, it's really all about consistency. Well, this has been so helpful, Dana. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think it's like a ton of great pet information <laughs> for people who are thinking about adding a pet or maybe did add a pet and it's not even it's not going well or it is I don't know but thank you so much for joining us today it was great and we'll put links up to your site and to your social site so if people have more questions for you they can always reach out and see all the information you have awesome great thanks so much we will be right back with our bites of the week we are back with our bites of the week Amy what do you have okay so my bite is this crazy long article that was in the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago. And it's about a stolen pair of ruby slippers from the Wizard of Oz. And there are, there's like half a dozen pairs out there. They're actually not sure how many authentic pairs of the ruby slippers there are. But, you know, there's one in the Smithsonian. There's this one private collector had one. And he had sent his pair to the Judy Garland Museum in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, which is where she was from. And so it was the pair was on display there, which was a big deal because they're worth millions of dollars. And they were stolen. This was back in, I think, 2004, 2005. And then last year, they were recovered, like 15 years later, 14 years later, whatever. And the story about them being stolen and being recovered, it's crazy. It involves like all this, you know, small town intrigue and the mob and a stolen Norman Rockwell painting and the oh FBI. Yeah, it's it's a crazy story. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to get a good conclusion. It does not have a satisfying conclusion because even though the slippers are back, they're still trying to figure out where they came from. They still don't know who did it or maybe they do and they just haven't announced it yet but like just the details of like how they authenticate these shoes and you know the hundreds of hours that go into making fakes and it's i just found it absolutely fascinating um so it's called the case of the stolen ruby slippers in the washington post magazine and i'll i'll put up a link interesting cool interesting there's no place like home (laughs) (laughs) all right andrea what do you have um, so I have a follow-up and a bite. So I, last week I talked about the um, weighted blanket, the relaxation weighted blanket that everyone I know now is is trying these. And, you know, sometimes we talk about things like the August View and I've said I haven't tried it personally. And sometimes, you know, they don't turn out to be exactly like they were in the demo, like that particular product, which they're working on. But um the weighted blanket, I just wanted to follow up because I have now been using it for a week. Not every day, but like sometimes when I curl up on the couch or watch TV and I'm loving it. And I've done a little bit of research into it and there's all different kinds. I'm trying the sleep number one. You basically choose a different weight, 15, 20 or 25 pounds, and you're supposed to choose based on 10% of your body weight. So I just want to happily report that my 15-pound blanket is absolutely wonderful to curl up under. It feels like a huge hug. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, it's a nice hug. Um, and then the other thing that I saw, I have not tried this, but I did have a demo on it and tried it. Um, you know, I haven't tried it for a long period of time. It's something called the Cool Cuff, and it's it's a like a bracelet. It's a cuff that goes around your wrist, and you press a button, and it's supposed to um, cool down your body temperature. And this is a wonderful idea for women who are experiencing hot flashes, people starting menopause when your when your temperature just spikes, and you're the only one in the room, kind of going, "Is it hot in here?" Um, but I really liked it, not just for that, but a lot of times, you know, women get nervous about talking in public, men do too, but a lot of women get nervous about standing up and talking in public and they get sweaty or clammy and, um, they lose their confidence because they feel like people can see it. So this I like because you can just push a button to turn this on. It, it gets covered under the cuff of your blouse or your jacket. And it really will cool your temperature down and take that kind of sweaty uh, heart palpitation feeling away. So it's called a cool cuff and um, you can check it out. We'll have a link to it. Wow, that would have been a good Mother's Day gift. I think. <laughs> a lot it of people. totally would have been a good Mother's Day gift. And the entire Northeast is desperately waiting for the day when we're too hot. <laughs> right. Well, I think there's for a lot of women... They're, too hot is not about the external temperature. <laughs> well, like, this weather is making me pray for perimenopause because I'm freezing. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna remind have, you you said that when the day comes. Yeah, <laughs> I have to say, last week there were, Amy, I think I mentioned it even at that event we were at. There were at least four devices that were one of those. This is so great for women in menopause or women who experience hot flashes. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe it's time for a roundup of those, but more and more companies are paying attention. This is a huge demographic. Well, they're and, stupid not to. Well, I needed those yeah. when I was pregnant. When I was pregnant, I was a furnace. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I just think that like, it's a giant segment of a market and these are mm -hmm. and a lot of women will spend money on these kinds of things like to ignore women you middle-aged women ignore at your own peril and these are women who make their own buying decisions right yes. so we saw i think amy saw me just collapse on it there was a, a tempur-pedic um, <laughs> cooling mattress and i'm hoping to have it as a bite of the week once i try it but they had a Tempur-Pedic mattress that completely cools your body temperature down or a pillow. So you just lay your head back on this cool, cool pillow. And I just thought, oh, my God, this would have been so wonderful. So clearly this is a market that cannot and will not be ignored. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. Well, my bite this week is a new website by The New York Times called NYT Parenting. It is, the New York Times has realized, I think, that many of their most popular and most shared articles have to do with parenting. Mm -hmm. I saw that. Um, and it's so funny because the top article in the parenting site right now is can't sleep while pregnant, <laughs> which we just said. Um, it is, right now, it's very focused on pregnancy and it might be more focused also on um under five, kids under five. That's what it looks like to me. I think that's too bad, um, but it must be where they think that's the most interest. Um, it is fantastic. It is a giant group of um, topics under parenting. So they have stages, health and wellness, relationships, work and money. So they're not separating parenting out as like just about kids. It's also about you and the, your relationships and money, which I think is so important, um, and work. And I don't know, it just looks great. It's in beta right now, but it's open to everyone. Um, I have a feeling it's going to end up behind some sort of paywall. So I think hopefully it'll be open for people um, who already subscribe to the New York Times, who have a subscription, but there is like a login. I don't know. I'm sort of finessing that and seeing what's going on there. But it's really cool. They have great writers. Um, so if you are a new parent or know a new parent or someone is about to be a new parent or even not new, just, you know, having another one, it's it's a great site. Graphics are beautiful. It's really well done. 
I thought it was so interesting because they did a lot of parenting articles anyway, and I am a paid New York Times subscriber, so I have access to all of them. And it's kind of like, of course, they're tagged parenting, or you could just search them and, and um, you know, the recommendation engine works really well. So I thought it was so interesting that they decided to pull it out and create a separate website for it, like a separate landing site. I think it's brilliant because I think that some people don't read the New York Times, <laughs> but this could would be, um, you know, there are people out there who feel like the New York Times is biased, you know, on the left, or they just don't like to read those kinds of articles. I don't know what it is, but this is something very different. They're, they're really, um, unless people see articles about LGBTQ parents as political, which then like, I don't know what to tell you, but <laughs> it's really not political at all. Um, there's no op-edness about it. Um, there are wonderful first-person essays, but it's it's like a giant resource all put in one place rather than you having to, you know, look under parenting and find those articles. My guess, I mean, the only thing I can guess is that those articles are hugely popular. And when you see the most shared, that they tend to be relationship articles and parenting articles. It's so interesting. Yeah. Or there'll be like a crazy diet and health article. Those are always like well, shared. Like, good. Maybe we too. can use it and talk to some of their authors about stuff. And I, and I think yeah. that, that if they are trying to segment that off and maybe put it behind a paywall for a broader audience that isn't interested in the New York Times itself, I think that's a great idea. I mean, especially as, as a freelance writer, I'm very much in favor of anything that helps writers get paid. But, you know, if, if you're not interested in the rest of the paper, their parenting stuff really is fantastic. So that's great. Yeah, I think it's a shame, though, that it stops at preschoolers. I'm not really sure why. I, I mean, it's almost, you know, it's like a weird thing to call it parenting, as if your parenting stops and your kid goes to kindergarten. Like, you know, you wish. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it's about to get worse, actually. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's suggest an expansion <laughs> to them. Maybe this is just the start. Yeah, I'm sure it's just the start. But anyway, that's my bite of the week. It's really fabulous. And I, I looked through it. I'm not ever having a baby again. But I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Ooh, that's cool. <laughs> I don't know. Why not? Um, so that is our show for today. You can find links to everything we talked about on parentingbites.com, facebook.com slash parentingbites. Wherever you listen to us, wherever you get your podcast from, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Um, it's how we find more great listeners. And we'd also, you know, we'd love to hear from you too. So if there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or if you have some crazy pet story you'd like to share or advice, let us know. Until next week, happy parenting. Bye. Have a good week. Bye.